Let's transition over to the Word. We're in 1 John, and we're going to be in chapter 4 today of 1 John. We're talking about the love of God today, the love of God. Uh, we're going to be participating in the Lord's Supper, and it's always an opportunity for us to kind of slow down and to re reaffirm in our hearts who the Lord Jesus is and what he has done for us. We remember his sacrifice. We remember that not only did he, he shed his blood on that cross for our sin, uh, he also rose victoriously as we celebrated last, uh, last week, conquering death once and for all for us, that uh, we could come to him in faith and trust him and trust in the finished work that he has accomplished. The, the, there's no work in participating in the Lord's Supper. There's no, as we partake, as we remember, as we proclaim, we do so as a fruit of what Christ has already done uh, on the cross for us in a finished work. So we remember that as well. Uh, we remember that he, his sacrifice was once and done once for us all. It reveals this deep, deep love of God, though. As we partake in it, as we think about the Lord's sacrifice, uh, it reveals this deep, deep love of God. So um, I thought we could look at that closer today and, uh, and maybe get a bigger perspective on the love of God, okay? I'll pray for us, and then we'll get into the Word of God, and then we'll break that apart and, uh, and talk about the love of God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your great love. Lord, as we come together to, to worship you and, and to celebrate Jesus, that is, in fact, what we want to do always, Lord. And God, it, it shouldn't be about us and how great we are or how much we've accomplished. It should always be about you and your finished work. And Lord, we, we want to celebrate that and we want to be reminded of that. And God, we want to proclaim what you have done with our lives. So God, help us to find that balance of, of proclaiming you and then going out and proclaiming you with our lives and our actions and the fruit that you want to produce through us. So, God, today as we look to your word, we ask that you would open our hearts and our minds to be receptive to it. We ask that your spirit would be in our midst, convicting us all of sin and moving us to a place of repentance and faith and faithfulness to the Lord Jesus. We want to be conformed into the image of the Son, and we pray this all in his precious and glorious name. Amen. So we are in First uh, John, chapter 4. It may have said John on your notes. But it's 1 John chapter 4, and we're going to be reading verses 7 through 21. Dear friends, let us love one another, because love is from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, because God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only Son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we must also love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God remains in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know we remain in him and he in us, he has given us, of his spirit. And we have seen and we testify that the Father has sent his Son as the world's Savior. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God remains in him and he in God. And we have come to know and to believe that the love, the love that God has for us. God is love. And the one who remains in love remains in God, and God remains in him. In this, love is made complete with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment because as he is so also we 
uh, we, so, sorry, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear because fear involves punishment. So the one who fears is not complete in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and yet hates his brother or sister, he is a liar. For the person who does not love his brother or sister, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And we have this command from him. The one who loves God must also love his brother and sister. This is the word of God. We're going to look at uh, God's love today, and I said we're going to look at a, a small perspective, but also a big perspective on that as we look at the Lord's Supper, as we look at participating and partaking together. So I want us to, to start with maybe a 30,000 30, uh, foot view, as they'd say. You're looking down on this big, big picture. In fact, I told Alistair this earlier. Um, I, I had my sermon ready, and I went to bed, and, and I, I had this dream about my sermon. I mean, I dreamt about the sermon, and it was so real to me, like I was still in preparation mode. I mean, I was taking notes, and, and, I, and what what God was, you know, speaking to me about in my dream. Now, I didn't, like, think this was what I needed to do today, a little bit. But he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, we're going we're gonna to talk about creation, and we're going to talk about the fall and redemption and restoration, the, these four kind of aspects of this huge worldview of, of Christianity. I'm like, oh, I, I was eating it up. I was loving it. I'm like, I was going to give you tons and tons of Scripture in my dream. I was going to overwhelm us today. And I woke up. Thank you, God, that was a dream. Thank you, God, that was a dream, right? But we are going to look at that today, so I'm not going to uh, make us turn to Genesis 1 and then Genesis 3 and, and go on and on. We're going to look at it in a, in a broad sense and in a quick sense as well. If we look at the love of God in a big picture, those four aspects, and you can write these on your notes, these are important for us to think about and to, to know and to, and to remember uh, as an as overarching worldview. This is how we see the world. This is how the world is seen through the lenses of Scripture and by the Holy Spirit. This is how we can see. The first part of it is called Creation. God created us to be with him. God, God created humanity. He created everything. And, and God, God made it, and he said it was what? It was good. It was good, right? But, and, and, and that was, this is God's creation. And then we, we see the fall happen, right? That's the next part. So we see creation, and it's good. It's what God wanted. But then we see mankind fall into sin and temptation with Satan in the garden. And we see the fall happen, and they, they, they uh, sin. And God says, when sin entered the world death into the world. There was, there was separation now between mankind, between God's creation and between God. They were banished from the garden. They were left to, to live with the consequences and repercussions with that in their own physical life on earth, which would eventually die, and in their spiritual life, in the separation they had from God. So you see creation is a beautiful thing, but then it's interrupted by the fall. And, and, and so what does this have to do with God's love? Well, that's the next part. His plan is to redeem to atone, to, to purchase us with his own blood as, his own, as, as he was a sacrifice for our sin. So we separated ourselves from God, and there was no way, and this is so important for our worldview, there's no way that you and I could reach up to God and, and achieve whatever we had to achieve to be in God's presence. We couldn't do it, but God did, amen? God did it. And that's the redemption, that God, it, when the time was right, sent his son to be an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And God's love did that. We see in verse 10 of, of chapter 4 here, he says that. He says, uh, love consists in this. Is it uh, verse 10, right? Uh, love consists in this. Not that we have loved God. See, not that we reached God and were able to figure it all out. But that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice. 
It's, it's interesting. We talked about it a little bit last week. We Oh, yeah, Jesus, I got him. He's, on the, he's like that thing in my garage, right? I, I said he's on the shelf, that box that's on the shelf. I bought it at a yard sale one time, and I, I thought I'd, I needed it, but I didn't. I just put it on a shelf for that day maybe when I would. That's not Jesus. Jesus is an atoning sacrifice. He's not just like some genie in a bottle. He came to earth and put on human flesh, God in the flesh, so he could die. So he could, he could take my place and, and die the death that I deserved and die the death that you deserved. That's what Jesus did. He made an atonement. See, there was a punishment that needed to be paid, and you needed to pay it, and I needed to pay it. Guess who paid it for us? Jesus did. And he paid it all. We would spend all of eternity paying that debt. Jesus took on the wrath of God for me. He took on the wrath of God for you so that you and I could be free from that punishment, that we could be free from sin and we could be forgiven and stand in right relationship before God. So we see creation. It was created and it was good. It was how God intended. But then we see the fall interrupted that and, and separated us from God. So what does God do? He continues his pursuit of us and his redemption of us by providing us with Jesus Christ in his great act of love that he, he was the one who died in our, in our place. He was the one who atoned for my sin. He was the one who atoned for your sin. That if we would believe in him we, and have faith in the son, we would, we would be forgiven. And finally, so that's redemption. Finally, restoration. What does that mean for us? Right? Redemption means that we can stand right before God. That, that he's drawn us back to a right relationship with God. Bubba talked about that this morning in Sunday school as we talked about Lord's Supper and Passover. That is a renewal of this covenant that God has made with his, his people through the blood shed that he brought them into a right relationship with himself. That's what's happened through the atonement, through redemption. And that gives us joy and peace and hope no matter what situation happens in this life. The redemption doesn't say your life is going to be great now. Redemption says you can have hope and you can have joy because of the love of God that's been poured out for you. Because one day, through faith in Christ, you will be able to stand before God, righteous and made whole through the blood of Christ. And that's that there will be a day. That's what restoration is. Restoration that we look forward to is not that I'm going to be perfect here and, get, and be always healthy and wealthy here. That's not what it is. I'm going to go through all kinds of, of junk and garbage in this earth. We all do. And while I do, I have hope in the restoration that there will be a day when he finally makes all things new, where there will be no more tears and no more pain and no more sickness, that we will be made whole and be with God forever. Amen. And that makes this, it should make this, this 60, 70, 80, 90, 100, whatever years seem pretty small in comparison. Thank God we'll be with him where all things will be made new. So this is this 30,000 foot view of creation and the fall and redemption and restoration. And what we see in those four things is God's love. See, when he created, he, he created objects to be loved by him and objects, people, you and I, that would love him. There's this love relationship that's happening just at creation. And then through the fall, that, that, that love relationship is strained. But God overcomes that with his great love as he provides Jesus for us. And his great love secures us as we repentantly come to him in faith. It secures us for the restoration, for, for eternity. And that we'll stand with him all clean and righteous. That's, God's, that's based on God's love for us. God's love accomplished 
that. That's, an, a, again, a, a broad view. Now, today we're going to look a little more precise and more uh, specific at this love of God. And this should help us as we approach the Lord's table to have a right perspective of Him and a right perspective of ourselves. That, that is the key whenever we approach the Lord's table, that we would have a right perspective of God and a right pr perspective of ourselves. We wouldn't think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. When we come down and we partake in the Lord's Supper, we do so saying, I am weak and powerless and nothing without him. But with him, he has made me new. And he has finished the work. So we come to the Lord's table celebrating what he has done. So let's look at God's love. Number one, God's love in your notes. Number one, gives us what we need. It gives us what we need. Now, that's tough. We hear that. And I know as a parent, to my children, I try to let them know, hey, this is what you need. I know what's best for you, right, parents? We know what's best for our children. At least we think we do most of the time, right? We know what they need. And when they come and tell me, Daddy, I really need ice cream right now. No, sweetie, it's 8.30 in the morning. We don't need ice cream right now. We want ice cream, right? So when we talk about this idea of God gives us what we need, it is not what we deserve. It is not what we earned. It is not what we necessarily want or think is right. And, and sometimes we come to the Lord's table that way. Like, oh, this is, I deserve this. I've earned this. I'm, or I'm, I'm earning it. This feels good. I like to participate. Those crackers don't taste too stale. Wrong. That's the wrong view to have as we approach the Lord's table. We approach the Lord's table saying, God, you have given me what I need. You have given me a Savior, Jesus Christ, who has atoned for my sins. We saw that verse in John, 1 John 4. Love consists in this. Not that we have loved God. Not that look how great we are and how, how well put together we, we are and, and how, how quiet my daughter is right now or my son. And, and no, it's not about how awesome you are or about your resume. It's not about that at all. It's not that you loved God, but that he loved us. That he loved us. When we walked down to partake, it's because he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Which means you and I cannot atone for our sins. We cannot make ourselves right with God. We are helpless. We are powerless. God sent his son to be the sacrifice. But what do we need? You know, he, he gives us what we need. Well, we, we need to know those things. We can't even love God on our own the right way. We can't love him enough. We, that we are separated from God because of sin. When, when God, through his love, sends Jesus as an atonement, it must give you and I a message that he has to atone for you and he has to atone for me and there's nothing I can do to atone for myself. He's not coming to say, hey, if, if it doesn't work out with you and God, Jesus is a second option for you. He's saying, I love you so much to give you the only option, the Lord Jesus Christ. You and I need a Savior to atone for our sins. John 3, 16, God loved the world in this way. What did he do? He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. He gave freely. He gave. That's a gift. He gave. It's not earned. So we come together as the body of Christ because of what Christ has done. Not to earn favor. Not to get merit. Not to add to my resume. We come because Christ is our everything. He freely gave himself and we are partaking of what he has given us. His atonement. 
And that, that's that love and, and graciousness of God that we see. God loves us. God so loved the world he gave. I love how Paul writes this in Romans. Are you despising the riches of his kindness? This, this is a, that's God's love, right? The riches of his kindness, his restraint, and his patience. Remember a few weeks ago we read from Isaiah chapter 6? And remember Isaiah, he saw the Lord high and lifted up, and he, he, the train of his robe filled the temple, and, and the angels were singing back and forth, and the smoke filled the temple, and the place shook. Remember that, that scene? Remember what his response was? What is it? Woe is me. Or, man, I'm dead meat, right? That's, that was Brandon's version, right? I'm dead meat. I'm toast. Because he's holy, and I'm not. I, that's what Isaiah saw. That's what he experienced. That's what he knew. So that this, this, we, we deserve that when, and a lot of people, you think about, like, I don't, I don't want to step foot in a church, man. That place might come down on us if I, if I walked in there. Well, that's a, that's a healthy view, right? We understand that we're dead meat without Jesus. We understand that he should, he should gladly and, and deservedly strike us down any second because of our own sin. But God's kindness and God's love, it's the riches of his kindness, his restraint, his patience. And Paul says those things, you should recognize that that's God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. See, the love of God is what we need. And, it, and, and the love of God should push us to a place that says, no more of me. No more of my efforts. No more of my will. No more of my pleasure. No more of my preference. I want, I want what he has to offer. Repentance is not only stop sinning. It's, it's throwing aside my sin. Throwing aside my idols. Throwing aside however I'm trying to earn it. And those idols could be Repentance, your idea of, oh, I, I repented today, or I confessed today. We need to repent of our repentance and move towards a right relationship with the Lord Jesus. And it's God's kindness, it's his love, it's his restraint that he's showing us. It's like, I want you to know this. I want you to come to know the forgiveness and the love of God in Christ Jesus through faith in him. He goes on in this scripture, it's intended to lead you to repentance, right? This love of God, this kindness, because you're Hardened and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment is revealed. Like when we decide, I, no, I've got it on my own. I'm, do, I'm doing this okay. My works will count just fine. I, I can do it. I don't need more of Jesus. He's saying you're just storing up for yourself wrath. Wrath that came when God created and it was all good and then we messed it up and separated ourselves from God. Right? He fixed it through redemption and offered restoration. But we're like, oh no, I, I, I'll stop right there after sin and I'll figure it out myself. That's not what we do. We let God figure it out, who did figure it out. So we can have this unrepentant hard heart and just try to work it out on our own. Or we can have a repentant, humble heart that's filled with faith in the Lord Jesus. Paul continues in Romans 5. He, he doesn't remove, God doesn't remove his wrath from us, but he's, he's patient and he redirects his wrath. Paul says in verse, in verse 6, he says, while we were still helpless, helpless, can't figure it out on our own. While we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. He goes on, he says, but God, you know how I love that saying, right? But God, but God proves his own love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for us. We deserved something else, but he died for us. How much more than since we have now been justified by his blood, will we be saved through him from wrath? The atonement, what Christ did on the cross for you and for me, when we express our faith and trust in that, when we repent, come to him humbly and, and embrace that through faith, God's wrath is removed from us. Do you know why? 
Because God's wrath was placed on Jesus for us. His wrath was placed on Jesus for us. Right? If while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled, having been in a right relationship, are we going to be saved by his life? And not only that, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's, it's amazing. It's God's love that he offers to us as he's placed the wrath, his wrath for you and for me on Jesus' shoulders. His, his love is offered to us that we could believe in what Christ has done and be free from sin. We believe in what Christ has done and be forgiven of our sin. And as we do that, there is no pride in that. There is no like, look how great I am in that. It is absolute humility. It's all about what he has done for you and for me. And that's why we boast. Our boast is no more, look at me. Look at what I've done. Surely you'll accept me. No, our boast is Christ alone. Our boast is that he has done it through the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we partake today of the Lord's Supper, we do it in remembrance that it's about what he has done through the Lord Jesus Christ, not about what, what I have done not about what you have done. It's about what he has done for me and what he has done for you. Again, this is what we need. Jesus is saying this even during the, the Last Supper, right? Before his death, before he, he goes out to the Garden of Gethsemane and arrested, he's at the, at the, at the supper and he says, uh, he, the hour came when he reclined at the table and the apostles with him and he said to them, I have fervently desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. He's like, this is my last one, my last one until the kingdom. Then he took the cup after, after giving thanks and said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I tell you, from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And then he, then he gets real personal with it. He makes sure they know this is what you need. He took the bread, he gave thanks and broke it. And he gave it to them and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When you partake, you remember me, that I, that I am willingly laying down my life. Now, the, the apostles, the disciples are there in the upper room. Jesus hasn't been arrested yet. He hasn't been beaten and tortured and crucified and put in a grave. But for you and I on this side of the cross, on this side of the resurrection, we can look back and say, wow, he did that. We know he did that for us. And we, as we partake, will remember him. This is in the same way he took the cup also after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. And he, he added this at the end, right? It's not added, it's just what he said. It's not just, hey, this cup represents the blood. This cup represents my blood, which is poured out for you. Do you know why? Because you need that. And because I need that. God's love gives us what we need. We needed forgiveness. We needed God's love. And it's not something that we can earn. We need forgiveness, and there's nothing we could do about it. But God did it for us. God's love gave us what we needed. Number two, God's love, it roots us in what really satisfies. God's love roots us in what really satisfies. I had multiple points, and I, it's kind of a longer one, isn't it? Because I put them together. Because they... I think they need to go together. It roots us in what satisfies. When we come together to partake, we, listen, I know I'm still messed up. 
I know you're still messed up. You know. Like we, we know we're not perfect when we come together and gather. We know on this side of heaven we will not be perfect. We will become more and more like the Lord Jesus. We want to be conformed more into the image of the Son. We will progressively be sanctified to, to look more like Him. But we are going to mess up. We are going to be not worthy in, our, in and of ourselves forever. But God, right? But God is rich in mercy. So we trust in Him and, and we root ourselves in Him and know that He has satisfied God's wrath for us. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, but God, there's another but God, but God who is rich in mercy. So we look at God's love again, and we saw that God's love is what was needed, and then from that, God who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, he made us alive with Christ even though we were dead in our sins. He made us alive, but we were dead. I mean, that's, we needed that, right? We needed a resurrection. We needed to come back to life. He gave us what we needed. His love accomplished what we needed. He says, you are saved by grace. So what does this mean? This, we're seeing God's love poured out because of his great love. We're, see, we're saved by grace that he's pouring out on us. He also raised us up with him and seated, uh, seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus. He gave us status and position. He grafted us into his family. There's a fullness that's happening here because of God's love. It's not just like, God, thank you so much for loving me and dying for me. Although that's huge. It's not, he's, he's inviting us in to understand the fullness of being part of his family and what that means. That covenant relationship was not, I'm going to die for you. If you believe one day we'll have that real stern look and I'll just say, come on in. He's like, no, I'm going to die for you. I'm going to give my life for you because I want you to be with me. I want you to be in my family. I want to adopt you as a son or daughter. That's this, this lavish grace he's given us. So that in the coming ages he might display, here it is, the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Immeasurable. Immeasurable riches of his grace. So we talk about being rooted and satisfied in God's love. We understand that it's immeasurable. His, his grace and his love is immeasurable. It's that deep. He goes on. It says, you are saved by grace through faith. It's not from yourselves. It's God's gift, not from works. That's amazing. That's, a, that's, that's this depth of being rooted and satisfied in Christ that we see we're saved by grace. His grace, not your grace. His grace through faith in Him, not of yourselves. It's God, God giving us a gift. Again, freely giving us something we do not and cannot earn. It's not from works. We need to cherish that and, and run to that. But there's this last little phrase here that, that sometimes we miss. It's not by works so that no one can boast, right? So this whole thing was totally satisfying until they said that. Now, now and you can't boast. Oh, well, we boast in the Lord, certainly, in what he has done. And, and it's like, wait, wait, there's more, right? Don't, don't boast. You can't boast. You're not going to be good enough. See, this is the difficult part. It's, it's that part of, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust God, I'm going to trust God, but I'm also going to trust myself a little bit. I'm going I'm to let myself be there some too. I want to I I add to it. Like, no, you can't boast. You're saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. So you can't boast. Not by works. You can't boast. You can't boast. So this balance now comes when we talk about being all satisfied in Him and rooted in Him. We have to eliminate self. Say, no, I'm done with myself. I'm going to set myself aside. I found a great passage in, in Jeremiah chapter 17. Turn that with me, actually, if you would. Turn it to Jeremiah 17. I thought about Psalm 1 being the one I wanted to do as well, but 
Uh, Jeremiah 17 was, was pretty, pretty profound. Beginning in verse 5. Jeremiah 17, beginning in verse 5. We got a little Jeremiah right over here. This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the person who trusts in mankind. Cursed is the person who trusts in mankind. This idea of boasting in myself or, or elevating myself, like, hey, I, I can do it. I'm going to put my trust not only in God, but also in me. Uh, nope, cursed. He, he makes human flesh his strength, and his heart turns from the Lord. Do you want that? I mean, that's not the progression I want to see. Let me read that again. The person, curse of the person who trusts in mankind. So I trust in mankind, my own abilities or someone else to save me, and that's not Jesus. Uh, if I trust in mankind, that that person makes human flesh their strength. And what ultimately happens? His heart turns from the Lord. If you and I want to boast about our own strength, if you and I want to boast in our own sufficiency, in our own goodness, in our own abilities, in our own resumes, if you want to walk this aisle and partake right here with your, own, with your own, like, hey, look how good I am, you are actually walking away from the Lord and not towards Him. You're turning your heart away from the Lord. You'll be like a juniper in the Arabah. He cannot see when good comes, and he dwells in a parched places in the wilderness, in a salt land where no one lives. But, verse 7, the person who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence indeed is the Lord, is blessed. See, this is our boast. This is what we boast, right? That our confidence is in the Lord. He, he has accomplished it. He will be like a tree. This is that rooted, right, and, and satisfied. He'll be like a tree planted by water. It sends its roots out toward a stream. It doesn't fear when heat comes, and its foliage remains green. It will not worry in a year of drought. Or cease producing fruit. Amen? That's what it is to trust the Lord. That's what it is to be rooted and satisfied in Him. To know that, that He is our everything. And we trust Him. We rest in Him. We're rooted and established and fully satisfied in Him. Paul writes in Ephesians, he's a prayer. He says, I pray that, that He may grant you according to the riches of His glory. Right? This, and think about this fullness. The riches of His kindness, His glory. There's this full on all satisfying this to God that he gives us. To be strengthened with, with power in your inner being through his spirit. And that Christ might dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you being rooted, here it is, being rooted and firmly established in love. May be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the, the length and what is the width and the height and the depth of God's love. Isn't that amazing? That's, that's what it is. We're, we're smack dab in the middle of the sufficiency of God, in, in the all-satisfyingness of God, that He is the one, and when we root ourselves there, is the most satisfying. And that's, that's what you and I have to learn. We have to learn that, that God's love is the one that satisfies. God's, God's love is, it, we're satisfied in Him when we're rooted there. We don't come here wary of whether or not we're going to be found worthy. We root ourselves in the love of God, and knowing that in Christ, He has done everything for us. That's what we do. But we need to be wary about coming on our own. 
coming on our own strength, trusting in, in humankind. So we, we see and we're rooted, firmly established, or planted in love, able to see the length and width and height and depth of God's love, and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge. That's why it's all satisfying. Again, it surpasses knowledge. So you might be filled with the fullness of God. Listen, that's what satisfies. That's what satisfies. You can't. I can't. We cannot satisfy. God in Christ satisfies. So having, having received God's love and in what we need and having been satisfied and rooted in him, that's how we come to and look at the Lord's table. Say, God, I, I'm in you. I'm, I'm satisfied in you and Christ alone. You've done everything for me. You've given me exactly what I need. Not what I deserve, but what I need. And through faith in you, I can boast in you. And I don't boast in myself. I trust in you. There's no fear in that. There's no worry in that. And that leads us to the final, the final part here. Number three, God's love is to be our example. God's love is our example. If God's love and, and what he has done for us is the root of our faith, that's the root of our faith. God's love and what God has done for us, that's the root of our faith. We're, right, we're rooted down deep in the all-satisfying waters of God. If that's the root, then our love for others is going to be the fruit. Our love for others is going to be the fruit. Ephesians 5, Paul says, Be imitators of God as dearly loved children and walk in love. We're imitating God. Walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us as a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. How God loved us, you should love one another, Paul says. Jesus says it in John 15. This is my command. Love one another as I have loved you. Well, that's, that's well said, right? That's by Jesus himself. As I have loved you, love one another. No one has greater love than this than to lay down his life for his friends. We are to love sacrificially. Why? Why should we love sacrificially? Because th that helps keep our perspective, one. It helps keep our perspective in the fact that as we walk an aisle and partake in the Lord's Supper, the perspective is, he was the sacrifice. He did it all for me. And that's the example he set. So as I partake, it reminds me now that he sacrificed himself and I can also sacrifice myself for others. I give you a new command, John 13, 34, and 35. Love one another. So why do we sacrifice? Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, here's the why. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So, we, so we, it's remi we're reminded of Christ's sacrifice. We, we say, God, your sacrifice is an example, and I'm going to live like that. I'm going to let that be fruit in my life. And as I do that, as you do that, as we love one another, it is the example of the Lord Jesus and it is the proof to the world that we are his disciples. If you love one another. God's love is to be our example. But that, that battle rages, right, between myself and what I want and loving others. I, I get it as a parent. I mean, I, I tell stories about my kids all the time, right? All the time. About, uh, and their little weird idiosyncrasies and the things that they say. And you love those stories. I don't tell stories about me often, do I? Because you love it. Let me tell you one about me. Like, like you think like, oh, well, the battle doesn't wage uh, that or rage that, that hard between self and selflessness. It, 
every single day. I don't know about you, I, like, I'm constantly looking around me for ways that make it the easiest on me. You understand what I'm saying? Like even when I come home and, and, and something's going on, or I, I think in my mind, this is how I want it to be. <clears throat> and I could, I could fool you and say, it's because I want to be a disciplined dad and a steward of my family and give my kids good guidance and good direction and good structure. I can fool you all, and I can fool myself. That's true, I want that. But really, I want them out of my hair so I can sit down and relax without them. <laughs> Just being honest. Does that sound like a servant of all? No, I'm the pastor. That, that hits me right there. Daddy, you want to read a book? No, it's your bedtime. <laughs> yeah, 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 it's only 5.30, Dad. <laughs> right? You know what? Maybe I should read that book. Maybe I should serve. Maybe I should look at the Lord Jesus and what he did for me and say, you know what? That sacrifice he made for me, the way he loved, is the, is the example set for me to love. And, and, and the way I love my children, sacrificially, like the Lord Jesus did, or the way I love you, sacrificially, and not be concerned about my preferences and my power and my comfort, the way I do that will prove to the world that I'm his disciple. The, the way I do that with my children will prove to them that I am his disciple and that I'm not God in the house, that he's God, and I want to be a servant like my God served me. Jesus dealt with this. We all, I, I share that story of me because I know it's part of you as well. And if it's, if it's not, if you can't see that, you, you need to talk to somebody. Because we, we battle all the time. The battle rages between loving myself versus loving others. Jesus dealt with this with his disciples. Matthew 20. Turn there with me, would you? The last passage of the day. Matthew chapter 20. Look at verse 20 through 28. It got so kind of crazy. I, I, I look at this and I just joke about like these two disciples, they couldn't go talk to Jesus themselves. They had their mother and mommy go do it. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons approached him, that is Jesus, with her sons. She knelt down to ask him for something. What do you want? He asked her. Promise, she said to him, that these two sons of mine may sit, one at your right and the other at your left, in your kingdom. What, they, what does she want? She wants the best for her kids, right? She wants the best for her kids. Her, what do her kids want? The best for me. I want the best for me. Jesus answered, you don't know what you are asking. You have no clue what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink? I want to stop there for a minute. I want you to think about that as, as God has sacrificed himself, come in the flesh, put on human flesh, and Jesus died for our sins. That's what he's about to, to drink. That's the cup he's about to drink. The same cup he goes to the garden and prays, God, if this cup can be removed, that sounds good, but not my will, your will be done. The same cup. Now these guys, it, he does say, you are going to drink that. All these disciples, all these apostles ultimately died a martyr's death for their faith. But, but he said, you don't have a clue what you're asking. If you want to be great, you're going to have to lay it all down. You have to lay it all down. Are you able to drink that cup? And here's what they say. We are able. Yeah, we're not. We are able. 
He told them, you will indeed drink my cup, but to sit at my right or my left is not mine to give. Instead, or indeed, or instead it is for those uh, for, for whom it has been prepared by my father. So the father knows who's going to sit there. Now, when the ten disciples heard this, the other ten guys are listening, like, wait a minute, wait. They, got, they weren't mad that they approached Jesus and asked him about that. What were they mad about? That they did it first. That they got to him first, right? When the ten disciples heard this, they became indignant with the two other brothers. Jesus called them over and said, The rulers, you know, the rulers and the Gentile, of the Gentiles lord it over them. And those in high positions act as tyrants over them. So listen, this is what's happening. They're, they're approaching Jesus saying, I want to be great. I want to be a leader. I want to be a ruler. I want to have, have power and prestige. I want to be there with you. And I think some of their motives were good, but some of them weren't. They're, this battle was raging in themselves between loving themselves and loving others. And, and Jesus says, listen, you're acting like everybody else in the world. They all do this. In verse 26, it must not be like that among you. It must not be like that among you. That's not how we live. That's not how we operate. We don't operate with what's best for me, what's most comfortable for me, what's my, my, my preference is what I want. We don't do that. It's not so with you. He goes on, on the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. There's our example. Jesus laid down his, his preference, laid down his comfort, laid down his will, and submitted to the Father's will. And he went to that cross for you, and he went to that cross for me, that we could have life. And he set us an example of love that we ought to to follow as well. So if you want to drink this cup, you have to realize it's not about how good you are or about trying to impress the Father or about having some type of power or status or prestige. It's about identifying yourself as helpless and the weakest of all. The one who's in desperate need of a Savior that willingly poured himself out for you. Listen, others work hard to present themselves as approved and, and, and of good status, not so with you. Not so with you. You and I do not approach the Lord's table in that manner. Jesus already did the work for us. And now we partake and, and we become imitators of the greatest servant there's ever been, the Lord Jesus Christ. We partake. Because he has done everything so we can be forgiven and that we can be fully satisfied in him. I hope that's how you will partake today as well. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask uh, us to stand and pray. And I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up if they would. Worship team, as you come back up, if you'd like to grab uh, some of the elements and take them with you, that would be awesome. We will uh, go to the Lord in prayer. Let's pray. Father, we, we are grateful to be here today. We're grateful to, to come and to yield ourselves to you, to lay ourselves down and to, God, let you be God. Let you be all satisfying. God, let ourselves be rooted in you and what you have done for us because you have given us everything that we need in Jesus Christ.
We thank you for that. We thank you that, God, as we partake today, we remember and we renew the covenant that you have made with us. That, God, we, we draw near and partake today being reminded that you have brought us near through the blood of Jesus Christ. We thank you for that. God, it is our goal, our desire to, to remember and to proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We give you all the praise, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.